Today on Behind the Headlines, there's a water crisis, this time in Benton Harbor, which leads to many questions about how did we get here again, about government oversight, about politics, about race, about class, and a lot more. We dig into all of it with Garrett Ellison and Ron Fongers today on Behind the Headlines. As I said, our guests today, Ron Funger and Garrett Ellison, and as always, my co-host, Vice President of Content for MLive, the one, the only, John Heiner. How are you, my friend? Trick or treat, Eric. How are you? I, I will pick treat, and I am well. <laughs> we have a treat today. How's that for a segue? Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna run some, uh, some circumstances past you. See, you tell me if this sounds familiar. We have a a uh, majority black city in Michigan that has formerly been under city, a state appointed uh, a city manager control um, that has had legacy, all kinds of legacy issues, including financial issues. And then they get lead in their water and people have to get bottled water uh, in order to survive. Does this sound familiar to this you? sounds very familiar to me. Yes. Well, it, it is. And then deja vu all over again, though, uh, it is not the Flint water crisis, although, uh, that it, this continues on. That story continues on, but in the last month, uh, M Live reporter Garrett Ellison, uh, who covers environmental issues for our statewide team, has been covering an emerging story out of Benton Harbor, a smaller, uh, a majority black city that's in the southwest side of the state um, by Lake Michigan. Actually, I think closer to Chicago than Detroit. Um, outside of where MLive usually covers, but it's a big story. And, and obviously we have some background in that. So today I'd like to welcome Garrett Ellison. Uh, Garrett, welcome to Behind the Headlines. Right, thanks for having me, John. And I think the parallels are almost inescapable to the Flint water crisis, although Flint's a city that's almost 10 times bigger than Benton Harbor. But, you know, to talk about what's the same and what's different, what we've learned, what we haven't learned, I'd also like to welcome Ron Fonger, who's the lead reporter on the Flint water crisis now for seven or eight years for the Flint Journal. Uh, good afternoon, Ron. Hey, John. How are you doing? I'm doing well. And maybe it's just me, but it, it does seem like there's a lot to talk about in terms of, wow, this seems familiar Garrett, if you would, could you just talk about how this emerged as a story uh, and where it stands? I know you've been spending quite a bit of time in the last this month uh, digging into the issues, both uh, health wise for the community, but politically as well. Sure. Um, so this really started to percolate. I mean, this really kind of began in terms of the water situation in 2018 when Benton Harbor first exceeded, exceeded the uh, federal action level for lead and drinking water, that, that 15 parts per billion sort of trigger level that which they start to uh, manage treatment and take actions to reduce the, the lead uh, in drinking water. And so it, it, it popped up. And then it really sort of went away and nobody really heard much about it. Uh, even people in Benton Harbor um, until earlier this month, um, you know, when the state of Michigan essentially went, hey, uh, everybody in Benton Harbor, you should be drinking bottled water. Um, and then they started sending uh, cases of bottled water sort of by the semi-truck load. And it, since then, it's been sort of this continual flow of bottled water into Benton Harbor. And then, the, you know, Along with it, there's been a ton of questions such as like, why now? Why all of a sudden this has been happening since 2018? Why is it suddenly a crisis, right? And so that's kind of where we're at with things. And, and just frame the state response, the local response, um, and, and 
to any degree how it uh, exhibits what was learned from the Flint water crisis, both logistically, politically, communications to, you know, I know that's a broad question, but how they're handling this for the sake of the, the, the residents of the city. Yeah, that is, that's a, that's a big question, John. Um, so, you know, the state um, has been, you know, hasn't like, it's getting this Gretchen Whitmer's administration is getting a lot of heat, especially from Republicans right now who see, who seem to smell some blood in the water here in terms of like, uh, uh, you know, responsibility um, for, for something that, you know, their guy, Rick Snyder really got beat up over Um, the state. You know, after 2018, when the first lead exceedance uh, happened in Benton Harbor, the, the state of Michigan did react, right? But it, what it was mostly, it was, uh, seems to have mostly been the Department of Environment, Great Lakes and Energy, Eagle, right? what was known as DEQ, started, walked into the treatment plant and said, hey, what's going on here? Uh, why aren't you using corrosion control? Corrosion control is obviously that people who are familiar with the Flint story will know very well as the thing that wasn't added to the, the drinking water supply uh, and that what would have uh, you know likely prevented all the lead from leaching into the pipes and probably prevented the crisis, right? And so they weren't even using it in Ben Harper. Um, so the state for the last few years has been you know trying to experiment with this blend of corrosion control at the water treatment plant and you know adjusting it for the chemistry and it hasn't really you know worked out very well because the water test results keep showing elevated uh, lead results. And so the, you know, that coupled with sort of the local health department's been handing out uh, drinking water faucet filters, right, for, for the kitchen tap, that's kind of been the extent of the state response up until, you know, this month when suddenly it's bottled water, right? And so that's really... <sighs> well, can I stop you there for a second? Mm-hmm. Stop you there for a second. Ron, does any of this sound familiar? Yes. <laughs> it's um, it's Benton Harbor is, I mean, the one thing about Benton Harbor is I remember writing a story a couple of years ago when we looked at some other water systems in the state that were also uh, had elevated levels of, of lead and Benton Harbor was on the list. They were in my story then. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you, when you think about it, go back, if we're going back to 2018, 2019, the response does seem kind of drug out. I mean, Flint had, Flint had no lead in its water when we were buying water from Lake Huron that had been treated by Detroit. So when we switched to the Flint River and they didn't use corrosion control, you know, our all of a sudden the lead popped up, but only after, you know, six months did that testing even occur. Um, so I guess it was a little bit more um, uh, sudden here than it well, was I mean, there. Yeah, and what I'm, I'm like hearing, what I'm hearing for Garrett too is the corrosion control becomes an issue in this community after Flint kind of you think we learned our lessons from that. And so how pervasive is this the lack of response or around the state? I, and I remember the story you're talking about where we went and looked at other communities that exceeded limits. And I remember Benton Harbor being on that, but you know, where's the element of learning 
from the past here and, and being proactive. Was there any sense of that, Garrett or, or Ron? Um, so what, what the state uh, is saying is that, um, you know, the, the, the action level exceedance is the trigger for using corrosion control, right? Which is, that was something I didn't, didn't know until then. Um, you know, so it's, it's a good question as to, you know, whether they're, you know, cause these lead service lines that are the, really the, the source of the problem, the, the lead service lines and the plumbing, the stuff that the corrosion control is supposed to coat and mitigate, you know, they're everywhere, right? The, not every city in Michigan has them. I think Lansing is a good example of a city that's invested millions to pull them out, but they're, but they're really widespread and they're not well inventoried everywhere. And so, you know, there's a, it's an interesting question as to like how many other cities are not using corrosion control that, uh, you know, have lead service lines, right? I mean, that's maybe something I thought, I think maybe we assumed was happening uh, perhaps wrongly, you know, after Flint. Sounds like a FOIA in the making there, guys, but um, <laughs> that's for another podcast. Um, you know, getting back to you, Ron, when just, I know you, you're not a detached observer here. You, you were still immersed in the Flint water story. In fact, I think you were in court this morning uh, in, in the criminal uh, charges against former Governor Snyder, which we'll get to in a bit. But from your viewpoint, watching this, does it give you a kind of an eerie sense of, of deja vu or just kind of like this is this an extent of the problem we're facing in urban areas all across the state. No, it's um, it's it's familiar. The storyline's familiar, and as you mentioned, the demographics are uh, are similar too. I, w- I always got a sense when we reported on the other uh, communities that you know also had problems with elevated levels of lead. It just seemed like the response from the state and even the people who were running those water systems was, oh, yeah, so, well, you know, <laughs> we're working on it. There doesn't seem to be any big sense of, ur- of urgency, um, at least in those areas that I was dealing with. And you got to remember, too, the state's tracking not only these municipal systems, but uh, little tiny systems, you know, that just maybe serve a, a a uh, nursing home community or a mobile home park. Um, so it just seemed like these areas were either uh, not very populated, um, kind of didn't necessarily have their acts together. And then maybe that's part of the reason they ended up in that circumstance. But um, I didn't get a big sense that there was a lot of alarm being being expressed at the time so there were you know documented negative health effects in flint garrett have there been any uh, documented health impacts in benton harbor so far you know not that i have um been able to you know pin down i did take a look at the um blood lead data um since the lead action level exceedance the the state um health department, you know, has that info online. And it's, it's, you know, what the, the state and the local health department are saying is that there's not a st- statistically relevant increase, right? There is a little bump up um, in terms of like ki- kids uh, under routine health surveillance showing, you know, elevated blood lead levels, but it's county data, right? And so the city of Benton Harbor is a, is, is a small percentage of Bering County's population. So that disaggregated data is, just you know, minimally helpful to understand the potential health effects there. And then the city, city's you know, data isn't so much 
better. And there's also a COVID complication because in 2020, uh, visits to clinics and everything where this these testing tests would occur, you know, plummeted, right? While everyone is under stay home orders and all kinds of, you know, quarantining and whatnot. So it's, it's a mess right now in terms of like, you know, the health piece. And then Flint it was very dramatic with public meetings where people were holding brown jugs of water. I remember photos of people who had lesions on their skin, you know, whether or not that was directed <laughs> water, things of that nature. That seems to be absent in Benton Harbor outside of the lines for people to pick up bottled water. Right. So, you know, what, a you know, I think it, Benton Harbor is a much smaller community. It's like 10,000 people compared to Flint, just under a hundred thousand. So maybe the, the impacts don't feel as dramatic, but still, this is a public health crisis, is it not? Oh, and oh, definitely. Right. Um, it's, you know, it's unfolding right now, right? And so I think there's definitely going to be more that comes out. Um, you know, there's a lot of journalists, you know, uh, you know, myself and others included who sat up and were like, what, what's going on? Um, and we're now digging into it. Uh, there's also um, legislative probes, you know, and oversight happening. Um, and so, you know, I think that's, and the health piece is always sort of, uh, I think, tends to lag a little bit in terms of the emergency response, um, other than, you know, in, in fairly unique circumstances where, uh, you know, there was a lot of health data to begin with, right? Like right now, I, I don't, I don't know where it is and I haven't seen it yet myself. Is it a foregone conclusion that all the lead lines have to come out like in Flint before there can be, you know, a solution to this problem? Yeah. Well, in fact, that's really kind of where the crux of the, um, argument against governor whitmer's response you know from the people who have been involved for a while is right they're saying look eagle you shouldn't have been putzing around with this corrosion control treatments at the water plant you should have been focused on getting the lead lines out and if you'd have done that over the last three years you wouldn't even be here right now so you know now there's this big pledge to get all the city's lead lines out by april 2023 it's like an 18-month window mm -hmm. and you know we're not even sure how many there are and where they are right there's just really poor record keeping you know and that's not you know unique to benton harbor or anything but you know it's something like between three and six thousand depending on whether you talk to the city or the state and you know where there are they're gonna have to use predictive modeling to figure a lot of this stuff out and so it seems like an ambitious goal uh but they've got and they're saying this is gonna be about, about 30 million dollars right and so 18 and a half of that's secured already ready to go um and the rest is sort of this political discussion and lancing as to where it comes from you know, Ron, this is six, seven years in the Flint water crisis. Are people still going to depots to pick up bottled water in Flint? I'm not, I'm not going to say there's none, but I mean, it's, it's obviously not what it was before we've had the last five years of, you know, testing below that threshold, but the, in, just in terms of lead, um, there's, there is still lingering concern, um, suspicion about the safety of people's water. Um, there are definitely people who will not drink it out of the tap, regardless, even if they have a new service line. Um, a lot of that just goes back to the feeling that people have that they were lied to 
uh, about the extent of the problem we had. And now, no matter what they're told, they're not buying it uh, if it comes from the government. You're listening to Behind the Headlines, an MLive podcast. I'm John Heiner here with co-host Eric Hulkren. And today we're talking about emerging public health crisis in Benton Harbor, Michigan, one that mirrors very closely the Flint water crisis, uh, lead in the water and the public health effects of that, plus the politics surrounding it. Our guests are Garrett Ellison from our statewide team, an environmental writer, and Ron Fonger, who has covered the Flint water crisis now forever. Uh, (laughs) All the roots of that, and glad to have him here. About the politics, right now, what on the ground in Benton Harbor, uh, Garrett, you know, I know also from your stories that there's some finger pointing between the state and local officials and even within the community about responsibility. But what is the political climate in just practically speaking towards finding a solution for this rather than the bickering around it? Well, um, it, that's that's an interesting question. It's, it's a little hard to answer. Um, there's. You know, the mayor of Benton Harbor, uh, Marcus Muhammad, uh, he seems, you know, he, he seems to want to talk about solutions. You know, let's fix this. Let's fix this. Let's work with the governor. Let's deal with this and, you know, you know, deal with this once and for all kind of thing. Um, you know, I, it seems like the, the state of Michigan, uh, particularly the, the state health department, is very focused on, you know, uh, presenting a, a, a partnership uh, uh, vision, you know, kind of between the community and the, and the sit or uh, in the state, um, they, you know, are kind of presenting church leaders who are not the, uh, advocates that have been criticizing the state response for a while. Uh, those are the ones standing up next to like the Lieutenant governor at press conferences and, and sort of, you know, appearing in, you know, state press releases and stuff. Um, you know, so it's an interesting dynamic, right? There, you know, you talk to people who are just sort of picking up bottled water and they're like, well, you know, the mayor inherited this problem, right? He was elected in 2015 and he's the first mayor to be elected after. Um, uh, right. Um, and, and that was the emergency management in Benton Harbor was from 2010 to 2016, right? And so there's, there's a real unclear... You know, the, the question of the ultimately res- where responsibility lies, I mean, that's, you know, that's going to be debated ad nauseum, right? But it's, people are trying to get at it. But it seems like the people of Benton Harbor themselves, at least the ones that I've talked to, are, you know, confused, right? They're like, why did this, why is this suddenly an issue? We thought the water was safe. They were handing us out, they were handing out water filters. And, you know, we were never told it was unsafe. And, you know, there's this whole question over messaging from the state, right? Like the state says this bottled water is out in an abundance of caution, right? Not that the water is unsafe to drink. And then mm-hmm. it took like the, uh, the director of uh, Eagle, like she got pressed in an oversight hearing, you know, kind of scrolled a- around answering the question like four times, to- uh, tried not to answer it like four times before she had, you know, said, yes, it's unsafe. People need to drink bottled water. So, you know, there's a lot. I mean, the politics here is, you know, going to be, you know, looking kind of like very messy, right? The Republicans are running ads now. Uh, it's well, uh, we do have an election year coming up. So they, you know, some wedge issues here, Ron, I can't help it. And I, you're probably thinking the same as me as you hear this. Um, it's safe to drink. We, we would drink it ourselves. And then you found out in Flint, they were bringing in bo- jugs of bottled water <laughs> to offices while they were telling people not to worry. Um, right. You know, and so 
just touch on the, the emergency manager aspect of this and what you, you find kind of similar, maybe some similar themes here. And I, I'm not saying an emergency manager means it, your city's going to end up in a public health crisis, but now we have two where the pattern seems to follow. Mm-hmm. I don't, I, I, you know, I'm not sure what the history of the emergency manager was in Benton Harbor, if they discontinued a certain, you know, way to treat the water or, I assume it's still the same water source that it was before. Um, that's why, you know, Flint was so extreme in that our emergency managers made these decisions that led us to, to to change everything. You know, the whole source of your water, just something that was unheard of. Um, but, um, you know, there's definitely a, a that thread you know, the, having the emergency managers in place, I think, is is something that you you need to look at because um, we sat here for 17 months. You know, while people were screaming and hollering, uh, some of them elected local officials who didn't have the authority to to do anything anymore, um, and the emergency managers just, <laughs> you know, they just kept on trucking and. Uh, uh, as I said, they didn't make one decision. They made a series of decisions that led to uh, the city of Flint's water source being changed. So I'm, you know, I'm not familiar enough with Benton Harbor to know, you know, w- were there certain actions that were taken or should have been taken and weren't taken, um, you know, that showed that kind of a disregard for what people were advocating for once they once they knew they had a problem. But you know. We're not even sure yet because in Flint, who's responsible? Because this morning, as I said earlier, you were in court. And why don't you give uh, listeners a sense of where that is? Because uh, I'm not saying it's politics. It's now a criminal matter. But it's still tied into that whole idea of uh, culpability uh, and trying to, you know, government trying to restore trust by showing there's going to be accountability for what happened. Yeah. And uh, to talk about politics, too, just so I don't forget to mention this, uh, Governor Snyder's attorney was in uh, court here in Flint this morning, and he's made reference to the water crisis. And he said whether it was Governor Snyder's water crisis with the city of Flint or Governor Whitmer's water crisis in Benton Harbor, as though, (laughs) you know, he's, you know, he may, you know, she's doing the same thing he would have done anyway. Um, these cases, the, the criminal cases are uh, miles away from um, from even getting getting rolling, let alone getting adjudicated. Um, Governor Snyder's case is in, is in district court, as is one, one other case. Seven of the cases are in circuit court. Um, in this case, we didn't have because they used a grand jury to indict these uh, these nine individuals for crimes related to the water crisis. Um, we didn't have to go through that process of having everyone bound over from district court into circuit court, which on the first go around, um, when 15 people were charged before those uh, cases were dismissed and the investigation restarted. Uh, the first time that was an arduous process that was taking, you know, months uh, up to a year. And uh, some of the cases, the majority of the cases never even got past uh, getting bound over out of 
district court. So um, that's the cases are in circuit court right now. Uh, everyone's fighting about the uh, uh, the re release of uh, attorney-client privileged information by the water prosecutors. Uh, there are a ton of preliminary motions that have to be decided. Um, the governor's case, his case is, as I said, sitting in um, district court. There are various motions that are pending there. None of the cases are anywhere near being started. Garrett, do you think, I mean, I'll, I'll, right now, obviously, it seems like the action's on the ground, getting water to people, getting information to people, communicating. Uh, but do you sense that you know, first of all, this story is going to unfold like Flynn over years, you know, not months. But second of all, you know, how important is that sense of who was responsible end up being? Well, you know, if you're somebody in Benton Harbor right now who are drinking bottled water, I think, yeah, you're care about responsibility, but I think you're most concerned with just not having to deal with the bottled water anymore, right? And so mm -hmm. getting the uh, lead lines out and getting the water, you know, permanently sort of safe, um, that's going to, I think, going to be the biggest priority and the, you know, the most sort of important uh, thread over the next, you know, year and a half or so. Um, you know, li listening to sort of the discussion around Flint and, and this idea of comparing the two situations, I did want to kind of point out that, you know, there's, you know, so Benton Harbor uh, has always had Lake Michigan water, right? You mm -hmm. know, so in the Great Lakes are always sort of seen as this sort of like clean, pristine source of water, even though, you know, in a lot of cases, they're really not. Uh, they do, you, you do need to treat, <laughs> you can't just drink straight out of a lake. Um, and so, you know, it, it wasn't a water source switch like there wasn't Flint, right? It was the Flint River, you know, instead of Detroit's Lake Huron water, right? And so, you know, this idea we mentioned at the top of like, what did we learn from Flint? Well, it does sound like uh, the, the action level exceedance may have come because after Flint, the rules required more homes to be tested and required a change in sampling procedure. Right. So the first leader draw and the fifth leader draw. Right. That's that's something that you know, if you're familiar with this sort of thing, you might you know, be, know what that means. Uh, it's just essentially a changes in procedure that are designed to, you know, uh, increase the likelihood that you get the lead uh, in the water test. So, you know, it's there are some, you know, Flint has affected this, you know, in that way. And I think that's an interesting, you know, uh, comparison point. Um, mm -hmm. Another sort of comparison point, you know, in terms of water crisis in Michigan and in, in the politics around it, I think I'd like to bring up the, the Belmont Rockford water, you know, issue uh, in Northern Kent County when Wolverine uh, worldwide, when it was discovered in 2017 that their dumping had polluted a ton of uh, the groundwater um, up there. You know, there were calls for all kinds of oversight uh, hearings in Lansing and, you know, get the CEO of Wolverine here, put him in the hot seat. Let's ask about what's going on. Well, that, that happened under, you know, in the last, uh, months of Rick Snyder's term, the last, well, the last year or so of Snyder's term. And, you know, the GOP legislature didn't let those oversight, you know, uh, probes efforts from the Democrats go anywhere. Right. But now when it's Whitmer, they're bam, they're right on it. 
you know, let's have these documents, let's let's get these mm-hmm. hearings going, right? And so there's this, <laughs> I, that's something I've been thinking a lot about because, you know, covering the Rockford situation and now covering Benton Harbor and the way that these things are, the developments are happening and, and you know, the stories are coming, everybody's asking all kinds of questions. I didn't, you know, Ron, I didn't cover Flint, uh, you know, that much. I covered Rockford a lot. This feels to me very similar, you know, it, it just sort of maybe from a work standpoint. Uh, I'm going to ask you an uncomfortable question. Flint and Benton Harbor, are, you know, majority black, poor cities that have had a legacy of poverty issue and other issues. Um, you know, how much of this is benign neglect by, you know, institutions towards, you know, marginalized communities? Well, there's certainly that sense uh, in Benton Harbor and among the people, right? In fact, I'm writing a story right now. I was there on Friday talking to people, picking up bottled water. And one of the guys I talked to, his name was Anthony Bell. Uh, he's, you know, a homeowner. He's got five kids. And, you know, he, he straight out came out and said, he says, you're dealing with a city that is mostly black, poor, living below the poverty level and dealing with a high crime rate. We get looked over a lot until something like this happens. And those are, that's a direct quote. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that's, you know, it, it's an, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an unfortunate reality. Right. And that's sort of, you know, that's where conversations around environmental justice, uh, you know, at the state and the national level, uh, you're hearing a lot about this now, uh, particularly around infrastructure funding and whatnot in, in Congress as that, as those uh, spending bills are debated. And, you know, so it, it I think it's interesting that this Benton Harbor situation is happening because it really does sort of shine a spotlight on this, you know, really chronic uh, issue of like pollution and, you know, the and contamination and the impacts of that stuff tend to, you know, very often for fall disproportionately on, you know, black or brown people, you know, in minority communities. And that's just, I mean, it's just a fact, right? I mean, there's plenty of uh, data out there to support it. Well, I want to say, and I'll, I'll link to this in my column, and perhaps we could put it in the notes for this podcast. But Garrett, you've been involved in some reporting, both uh, printed in, in print or digital online, but also documentaries we've done this year on uh, what you would call environmental justice or environmental racism, redlining, uh, placing historically polluting type industries, or running highways through areas where you know the wealthier people don't live. And the health effects that has with the graphic packaging in Kalamazoo with asthma rates and, and higher death rates, things of that nature. And it, this seems to fit into that thematically, you know, it just mm-hmm. seems to follow. Very much, um, you know, and it's, it's, it's becoming, you know, the, the fact that that occurs, right, and has been going on for so long um, is becoming a much larger conversation, it feels like, in the, you know, environmental uh, protection realm than it ever, you know, was before. Um, you know, I think that's driven, you know, in large part by examples like what happened in Flint, you know, that's, or it's just so obvious about what happened, you know, and you can see obviously who, you know, who it impacts and just the images of, you know, it's like, you can take the picture of Benton Harbor of, you know, um, Uh, you know, black people getting bottled water, you know, cases, you know, put into the trunk of their car. And it, it it doesn't have to be Benton Harbor, you strip the 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 cut line off it. And that could be Flint, it could be uh, Newark, New Jersey, it could be uh, Chicago, you know, there's lots of uh, cities, um, you know, with the 
you know, with these demographics in this, in this issue. And, and so, it, and it's, and it's not just a water, you know, problem, it's, it's an emissions issue. Um, you know, so it's, it's becoming much, you know, is it becoming impossible to ignore, um, you know, here in Michigan, and I think in Washington, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, based on what we've seen on how this has unfolded in Flint, and it's still unfolding, you're, you're going to get to know Benton Harbor pretty well, some of the places that restaurants to eat in <laughs> you know, things things of that nature so really close to lake michigan is very pretty over there um hey ron you know from where you sit and what that where this conversation is going any, any last thoughts about you know about the the parallels or or even advice for garrett who's wading into what may be a multi-year story well garrett doesn't need my advice i usually call him and ask for for his when i'm writing about environmental issues um but, you know, the thing that just really, you know, rings rings true is, um, and you heard it over and over and over again, you still hear it, this wouldn't have been allowed to happen in a, a community that had had wealth. Um, the, 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 I don't know in terms of Benton Harbor, but um, the fact that these are poor communities, right? Um, these are communities that are financially challenged enough that the state had to come in and take care of the operation of the city. Mm-hmm. And um, these are, in addition to being poor cities, they're c- cities that are, you know, either majority or near majority uh, black residents also. And um, that's that's one thing I, I I feel pretty confident in um, this would, you know, these type of situations aren't allowed to linger and fester this long in uh, communities that are able to pay the bills more than uh, perhaps Benton Harbor and Flint. So the lessons are clear. We just don't learn them. Uh, or do we, are they proved very, very uh, difficult to, to change and fix. So again, thank you for joining today, Garrett and Ron. Garrett, Uh, Keep up the good work in Benton Harbor. Our readers appreciate it. I appreciate it. And Ron, uh, good luck. Uh, Hopefully this story will conclude before either of us retire. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But I wouldn't bet on it. Um, So thanks, gentlemen. Thanks for joining. Thanks for having us, uh, John. Thank you. And there they go. A big thanks to Garrett Ellison and Ron Fungers for joining us today to talk about this important issue. And as always, if you like what John and I are doing, like, subscribe, and share wherever you get your podcasts. Until next week, he is John Heiner. I am Eric Hulkren, and this is Behind the Headlines.